Liz? Yeah, Liz. So we have a um, speaker this morning that most of you will have heard from before, either in the things that she's done outside Sunday, but also she's spoken here on a Sunday morning. And we, I know that this morning, because of what she's going to bring, I also know that this couple, Liz and Mike, who are living in Cornwall at the moment, um, well, hopefully, I'm not moving you. <laughs> they are living in Cornwall, unless you feel to come up to Cambridge, that would be lovely. <laughs> I won't speak that over you. Um, but they always bless us when they are with us. They are um, worshipful God lovers, and the prophetic always speaks through Liz because of her relationship with God. And she's anointed. Holy Spirit is with her this morning, so I know that we're going to have a great morning. So Liz, do come up. Yeah, so Father, we thank you for this mighty woman of God. We thank you that you fill her full of yourself. And so we know that what comes out of her mouth will be what you have already put in there. And we ask for your anointing to be on her, for your presence to be with her, that she can just breathe you in and as she speaks um, take those words holy spirit into our hearts and our minds in the name of jesus amen amen bless you well oh it's good to be here isn't it brilliant so many children going up the stairs don't you love that? That's the next generation. That's just so wonderful. Sign of a healthy church, children, and all going, all wanting to go. I love it. I just love it. I love it. I keep getting the word worshipful, you know, and I, <laughs> I know that there are various groups of people who meet and worshipful has funny connotations, but I'm hearing the word worshipful and I'm feeling worship full you know and when we are full of worship something really happens doesn't it because something flows out of us when we are full of worship and our lives are worship aren't they our lives are worship to him so when we come together we're not coming empty to worship him, we're coming knowing that we already have him inside of us and we're just pouring out that worship to him because we love him, adore him, recognize him, know our need of him. Who knows that they're nothing without Jesus? <laughs> oh, nothing. He's everything, isn't he? He's everything. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. If, if we have a question in our lives, he's the answer, isn't he? He's our anchor. He's our strength. He's our stay. He's the most wonderful, 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 wonderful person. And he's our friend. <laughs> Isn't that mind-blowing? He's our friend. He's our friend. Oh. <laughs> Sometimes I just feel so in love with Jesus that I can't put it into I can't put it into words. <laughs> it defies words. It defies words. And you know, many years ago, 30, 32 years ago, I didn't know him at all, but through a friend, because that's how we meet people, isn't it? We meet people through friends, generally, don't we? We get introduced. Through a friend, I got to meet this man. And this was a friend who knew that this man was somebody who would change my life. But I knew nothing about him at all. Absolutely nothing. And I, the introduction was made. And straight away, I could sense that there was something about me that he was attracted to. And I, I couldn't make 
any sense of that, but I sort of knew that I wasn't going to be pushed around or pushed into anything or persuaded into anything because I wasn't like that then. I wouldn't allow that to happen. So I sort of played hard to get for a while, you know, and uh, I pushed him away and but he would pursue. He was just behind me all the time. He just kept coming. He wouldn't leave me alone. He kept coming. And eventually, I felt my heart just start to soften towards this man. And I started to get to know him. We started to meet together. And he started to speak to me. And I started to just begin a relationship with him, you know, like we do with one another. It's gently, gently, isn't it? Hopefully. <laughs> gently, gently. I started to get to know this man. And as I did that, or as, as he met with me, I felt like walls that had spent, I'd spent years constructing around myself started to be demolished. I felt my heart start to soften. I felt my attitude to life in general just start to change. I was a really cynical person. You know, when you've been kicked around a bit, you get cynical, don't you? Do you know what I mean? I hope you don't, but most of us probably will identify with that. But it, I started to even sense change in myself. And you know, when you sense change in yourself, you know that something is starting to happen, don't you? Because we're normally the last to see it, aren't we? It's normally the people around us who see it. And I started to realize that I was loving his company. And then one day, one day, he said to me, it's time I introduced you to my family. I want to take you to meet my father. And I just went into abject fear and terror at the thought of that. Oh no, here we go again. I'm gonna, he's gonna introduce me to his dad and his dad is going to completely refuse to give him approval of me. His dad won't like me. They never do. They never do. There's, there'll be something wrong with me and that'll be the end of that. And all the hope that I had put into this relationship, this new relationship, started to sort of ebb. And I thought, oh, no. here we go, same again. Repeating pattern. Who's had repeating patterns in their life? Know what I talk, I'm talking about? But anyway, there was nothing I could do about it. It was the only way that things were going to be able to continue. So I went with this man to meet his father. And you know, before we even got to his place, the door opened and out came his dad to meet us and his arms were wide open like this and he smiled at me and he just said, welcome, welcome. You're so welcome into our family. You're so welcome. He even called me daughter. I didn't understand what was going on. It's like, how can this possibly be happening? But there was no vestige whatsoever of judgment upon me. I was just welcomed into, into the house. Now, you know, don't you, that I'm talking about Jesus. The man was Jesus. The father is Father God, who is also the God of holiness, almighty God, creator God, the God that we've been worshiping this morning and calling holy because he is holy, who is, well, before whom we can only bow. How could we do anything else? And yet there he was with open arms just welcoming me in. And every lie I had ever believed about the importance or about the um, importance, it's not, it doesn't even touch it, about the, the worth of family life was just demolished. And I began to see that belonging to this family was going to change my life forever. And I absolutely wanted it to change my life forever. And then began the journey 
then began the journey of coming to know this family that I belong to and what my place is in it. And my place is as a daughter. It's as a daughter. As Jesus' place is as a son. And that's the same for each one of us. No, no difference. The same relationship. Sons and daughters of the living God. It's the most wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. Sons and daughters. Belonging to the family of God. This is who we are. And if we doubt it for one second, we need to come to his feet and sit at his feet and just allow him to remind us of where we're sitting and who we are. You know, Jesus talking to the disciples in John 14 he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Like Jesus' word wasn't enough. He wants, show us the Father. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Do we know that we can do even greater things than Jesus? Do we know that? Do we believe that? This is him talking. Do we know that? And he goes on to say later on, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So here we have another member of the family. We have Holy Spirit, don't we? Holy Spirit's here this morning. You know, when we gather together like this, we never have to invite him to come. He's already here. He's here because he's here. He's in us, isn't he? He's in us. Put your hand on your tummy and just say, he's in me. Holy Spirit is in me. Christ is in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Do we know what we're carrying? Christ in me. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. He is our family and our identity is in him. This is who we are. This is who we are. And you know, I believe that we are coming into a season, or rather we are in it already, a season when he wants us to, or he's going to breathe a fresh breath to help us grasp the weight of this truth. Because, you know, sometimes we just haven't. <laughs> have we? We may have tasted, we've tasted it, haven't we? We may have seen wonderful things. We've all heard testimonies. We've heard wonderful things. But in the day-to-day, -day, the, from the morning I get up, from the moment I get up in the morning and through my mundane day, do I really, really know this? And that's the worshipful life that he wants us to be living all the time. Changing our expectations from being in the place where we get surprised when we see amazing things happen 
which we do, don't we? Who knows that? Who's been surprised? Who's prayed for someone who's got healed and then has felt surprised? Woo! <laughs> How amazing is that? You know, I can remember years and years and years ago, I was at um, Soul Survivor. We're part of the ministry team. This is a long time ago. And uh, there was a call for healing. And um, all these young people, they run to the front to answer the call. Love young people. So, so hungry. And I get in front of this girl, and she's about 19, and she has this huge lump on her neck. And I looked at her, and I thought, oh, dear, who am I in front of? You know, Oh, dear. <laughs> and then I thought, perhaps it's a goiter. You know, that's, that's horrible, but, you know, it's not desperately serious. Anyway, she started to, Does, do your faith do this, or is this just me? It's like, oh, give me a headache. Oh, I can do that. Um, how stupid, because it's Christ in us, isn't it? It's not me. So anyway, she starts to talk to me, and uh, it turns out, actually, that this huge lump on her neck is not a goiter. It's, an, it's a malignant tumor. And she has received a prognosis, a medical prognosis from the hospital, and she is months away from dying. And when I say months, I don't mean like 12 months, like months in weeks, like 12 weeks. And she's quite calm, but she looked at me and she just said, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, help me, God. What do I do? I am not equipped to do this. And I'm telling you this, actually, because we probably will all find ourselves in this sort of situation at some point. Okay. This is what God said to me. This is how he answered my prayer in that place. He said, go and get Gordon. Right? Now, I knew a man called Gordon. Some of you may have um, come across him and his wife, Rachel Gordon, and Rachel Hickson. And uh, he said, go and get Gordon. So he didn't say, you know, you, it'll be fine, Liz, you pray. He said, go and get Gordon. And I'm so thankful, and I'm also eternally thankful that my response was simply to go and get Gordon. I didn't try, I can do it, Lord, it'll be fine. <laughs> you know, I went to find Gordon. First answer to prayer, we're in, in this huge place called the Showering Pavilion. It's like this huge, great shed. And um, there are 4,000 young people in there. It's not easy to find somebody. But I walked across the room and there was Gordon straight away. So I grabbed him, I told him briefly what the problem was, and I took him over to this girl. And um, he, he could see that I was, and he put his hand on me, and he said, you put your hand on her, and we're going to pray together. And Gordon's got vast experience, not phased at all, totally trusting in Jesus. Um, he, he was... Reinhard Bonnke's right-hand man for many years. So he's seen miracles, okay, and he expects miracles. So there we are doing this sort of little chain. I've got my hand on her neck, and we pray for her. And it's really simple prayer. It goes something like, God, heal her. And to her, receive your healing now in Jesus' name. Cancer is gone from your body. I tell you, that goiter, that, that cancer, that lump... Okay, it just disappeared. She put her hand to her neck and her face was like, it's gone. It's gone. Where's it gone? It's just gone. So Gordon said to her, and quite rightly, you need to go when you get away from this place. You need to go to the doctor. You need to get this thing verified by a scan. Okay, and, uh, and she accepted that and promised that she would do that. And we all go on um, our merry way. She's really happy. I'm absolutely astonished. It's bread and butter to Gordon. He probably went and did another 55 healings somewhere late in the building. But anyway, so I, I saw something I'd never seen before. And then a year later, we were doing an outreach, or we had an outdoor meeting with the church that we used to belong to in a park. Um, and as we were sitting on this bank, just worshipping in this park. I got a tap on the shoulder. I turned around and blow me down, it was this girl. And she was completely well. She'd had the verification from the hospital. The cancer had totally gone. She was at college. She was about to um, do the second year of, of her degree. And her whole future was ahead of her. 
It was astonishing, absolutely astonishing for me. Why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because that, that should be our expectation, to see this happen, to see God move, to trust him to do what he has promised to do. And you know, we don't always see the end result. And that doesn't matter either. What matters is our faithfulness to him in the moment if he moves us so to do. Amen? Oh, he's so good. He's so good. He's so good. And our, our confidence in actually stepping out, in living that way, in having that sort of um, lifestyle that's aware of Holy Spirit all the time, it comes from knowing who we are. It starts with our identity. And you know, there is, you know, in the world there's identity theft, isn't there? It's a huge thing, isn't it? You know, anyone who does anything on the internet will know about identity theft. And you have 97 million different passwords and you can't remember any of them. And, you know, all that, you know what I'm talking about? We're aware of identity, identity theft. We have an enemy who wants to undermine and steal our identity. We have an enemy who wants us to believe that we are less than we have been created to be. We have an enemy who wants us to believe that we're impotent. We have an enemy who tells us that if we just gather on a Sunday and we, fit, we sing a few worship songs and, you know, that's it. That's the extent of our Christian life. But we have Jesus who says, no, I have an adventure for you. I want you to live with me. I want you to do life with me because life with me has purpose and meaning and it's fulfilling and satisfying and joyful and wonderful. Wow. And you can trust me. And it's fun. Who knows that life with Jesus should be fun? Wow. It's joyful. The Westminster... Oh dear, I'm not gonna, I, can't, I can never pronounce this word. There's a... There's a the Westminster Catechism. Woo, that's the first. I got it right. I normally I trip with that. It says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Amen? It's supposed to be joyful. We should be joyful people. And it's not, it's not like, okay, I need to just sit in front of a mirror and laugh until I get joyful. You know, Christ in me, he's joyful. He's joyful. He loves it when we laugh with him. You know, when we make mistakes, he doesn't condemn us. He joyfully releases us to try again, doesn't he? Because he loves us. Because all he wants to do is encourage us. He wants to grow us. He wants to empower us. He wants to equip us. He wants to release us into this amazing roller coaster ride that is life with Jesus. That isn't phased by anything. That believes the promises of God. Who believes the promises of God for themselves? Who believes with the, of the promises of God for themselves in here as well as in here? See, we can say it, can't we? Oh, I believe it. Yes, I believe it. I believe it. But actually, when the push comes to shove at the end of the day, our expectation is to be disappointed. I spent years, really years and years and years, expecting to be disappointed. Always. Oh, it won't work. That won't work. Well, that won't work. And, ah, oh, no, that's not for me. Or if something did fail, it's like that proved it, that confirmed it for me. You know, that's just the way my life always is. Everything's a disappointment. I was geared to disappointment. I knew what to do with disappointment. When things started working out, I got a bit stuck. <laughs> wow. But we shouldn't be geared to disappoint disappointment. 
The promises of God will never disappoint us because he can only ever fulfill what he says. It's impossible for him to lie. The Bible tells us he can't lie. So the promises that are in his word, he will fulfill. It's a given. It can't not happen. It can't not happen. And there's an exchange that has, to, that has to happen for some of us between our head and our heart, where the things link together. And actually, instead of it simply being mental assent and then heartfelt disappointment, it becomes mental assent and just a heartfelt embrace that can cope with waiting for things. We, when we were worshiping this morning, and we are singing Promise Keeper. I just really sensed Holy Spirit on that for some people in the room this morning. That you've had promises spoken over your life. Maybe prophetic promises. Things that you're still waiting for. Does anybody identify with this? Still that you're still waiting to see fulfilled. Years, maybe years after they've happened. You need to hear if God promised, God will do it. He will do it. He is the promise keeper and he's the promise fulfiller. And what do we do while we're waiting? Well, we do what we know to do. We worship him. We love him. We respond to the things that he asks us to do. We do life with him. We don't sit down and just wait because that's interminable, isn't it? And it can be nothing but disappointing. You see, God is not a man that he should lie. And the difficulty with promises over our lives is we tend to process everything through the filter of our own understanding. If you've been let down by somebody else, who's ever been let down by someone? Come on, let's have some honesty in the room. <laughs> yeah, That's, that becomes our filter. It becomes our expectation. But actually, he can't let us down. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And how do we unlock and build the faith for grasping hold of that? Well, we praise him. We praise him. This is how I fight my battles. I praise you, God. I just praise you. I refuse to think you are anything less than that which you tell me that you're, you are, than that which your word says that you are. And I refuse now, because I'm beginning to understand it, to accept that I am anything less than who you tell me I am. Because you call me your daughter. You say I'm your beloved. You tell me I'm the apple of your eye. In fact, you look at me and you say there's no flaw in me. It's like, work that one out when you look in the mirror, you know? But that's what he says to me. We're coming into a time when he's going to start breathing real life into these truths so that his sons and daughters can truly, truly embrace it. Amen? Who wants that in their life? Who wants that in their life? You see, we have a thing, especially in the West, I think, where we see self-confidence as something that's really negative. You know, it's an arrogance. And of course, when it's confidence in ourself, it is arrogance, isn't it? But we have, as his sons and daughters, confidence in him and who he is. And when it's him in us, when we know our identity and we recognize that it's him in us, then actually we realize that it's not self-confidence, it's him in us. And actually that God confidence displays itself like blessed assurance. It displays itself like peace. It displays itself like gentleness and loving kindness and compassion. It displays itself like love because that's what it is. And that looks like something. And that looks like something to those who don't have it. And we are in a time, certainly in our own generation, where those who don't know Jesus are going to start 
being able to see the difference. We need to, um, to get used to people looking at us. We do. People are going to start looking at us. As we come into that realization of who we are, as we get to know him, as we embrace that identity that he has for us, that sees us beautiful, that sees the creation that he made you to be, that sees your uniqueness, that doesn't compare you with anybody else, but releases you into everything that he has for you. As they start to see that, they're going to start to look at you and say, what is it about you? What is it about you? I, yeah, I've had this thing in the supermarket, right? Just going around Sainsbury's, merrily going around Sainsbury's. I used to think, why would God go to Sainsbury's? You know, he doesn't, want to, he doesn't like shopping. But, you know, he comes everywhere, doesn't he? He just comes with us. He's with us. And I've had this thing where I've, I've been going up and down the aisles, and sometimes I'm a bit grumpy in Sainsbury's because it's not my favorite thing to do. But I've gone up and down the aisles, and I've noticed that people are looking at me. And occasionally when Mike's been with me, I've said, what, you know, have I done something funny this morning? And I, I, I just come into this realization, realization that, you know, they see something. They just see something. So now I have this thing, my Sainsbury's thing, because it's not happened anywhere else. That's why hopefully it'll start happening everywhere. But my Sainsbury's thing, when people look at me funny, I smile at them. I just smile. I sing worship as I'm going around the supermarket, and I smile at people. And every now and again, if someone looks at me, I'll make a comment to them. I had a lady a few weeks ago, and she was just in this beautiful, brightly colored dress. And she looked at me, and I just said, I love your dress. Do you know what? We were talking for about 10 minutes. She loved it. She loved it. Because this is in a place where people generally aren't feeling their friendliest generally, are they? You know? We need to get used to it, children of God. <laughs> people will start to notice. And you know, the key thing about this for me, the thing that blesses me so much, is I'm not, I don't think I'm very good at actually going out on the streets, say, and telling people about Jesus. But I'm really good at answering questions. And if someone says, what is it about you? You can tell them, can't you? And I can tell them about this man that I met 32 years ago who changed my life. I can tell them a love story. And everybody loves a love story. How did it turn out? Oh, we're still together. It's absolutely amazing. We're, not only are we still together, we're going to be for, together forever. It's never going to change. People will be arrested by that. This is worshipful life, full of worship, being who we are, growing into the people that he's created us to be. And it all flows out of knowing who we are. So let's get used to it. Expect it. Let's get expectant to look different. We're being changed from glory into glory, aren't we? That has to look like something, doesn't it? It looks like something. And it, it doesn't look like Botox or, you know, Revlon or, I don't know. It doesn't look like that. It looks like love. And, you know, the world is starving for love. The world doesn't know what love is anymore. Does it? The world is starving for encouragement, isn't it? Starving for encouragement. Well, you know, we're the answer for their encouragement. We are. Because we have what? We have Christ in me, the hope of glory. And what is that problem with your shoulder? Oh, let me just pray for you. We're going to see people get healed. We're going to see miracles. You know, Jesus, in that passage I read, he talked about the miracles as if they were second rate, didn't he? Oh, at least believe by the miracles if you can't believe it, you know? 
Let's start expecting to see him working through us. You will do even greater things than these. That's not a headache, is it? That's a terminal illness. You know, and I'm not just talking about healing, obviously. I'm talking about just how, who we are, how we are. How we live, how we honor, how we conduct ourselves, how we relate to one another, how we bear with one another, how we aren't critical, how we build up and we don't tear down. You know, do you know that's the purpose of church? That's the reason we're here, isn't it? We're here because of him and to build one another up in our most holy faith, to encourage each other, to recognize his gifts in each one of us, different gifts, and release each other into those things so that we can become this amazing body that in every part is actually fully functional and working well and healthy. Oh, isn't it good news? I get excited by this stuff. Does this excite you? Yeah? Do you think the children are getting excited up there? Children get excited by things, don't they? We need some of that back, friends. We need to get excited. We need to allow ourselves to get so touched that we feel something bubbling in us that's actually, oh my goodness, you know, that childlike thing that actually is so enabling. Children don't see problems, do they? They don't see it, do they? They just want to do it, don't they? They see something good and they want to do it. Oh, childlike faith. It's not, it's not disengaging your brain. It's not being stupid, but it's trusting God. Children are like that because they trust us. Children are like that with their parents because they trust their parents. Aren't they? And hopefully they do. I mean, I know that's not, you know, it's not a universal story, but, you know, for children in good families, and let's get back to that family thing again, they trust and they believe they can, so they do. There's a line in a, a song I can't remember. It's not a, not a worship song, a song from years ago that we used to like. And um, I was talking about this little this person, this little boy, and it said he did not know he could not fly, so he did. You know, <laughs> that's what we need, isn't it? It's like, oh, Jesus, we can do anything through you. And yet... When we become adult, when we've had a few knocks and when we've learned some stuff and, you know, we engage our brain, don't we? And we rationalize ourselves out of things before we give ourselves the remotest chance of doing them. Who's done that? Got the rationalizers. I'm a great rationalizer. I'm a recovering rationalizer. Ah, <laughs> oh, save us, Jesus. Because if you've said it, Woo. So here we are. Jesus is our friend. He's our brother. You know, when I met the father and I was so knocked out by his re reception and so knocked out by his love and the way that he embraced me, because I guess I'd not really had that in my earthly father, although I had a good father who loved me, but, you know, was flawed and also let me down very badly at one point. When I, when I met my heavenly father, I sort of disconnected from Jesus a little bit for a time. And Jesus became, in my thinking, absolutely my savior, the man who hung on the cross, the man who died for me, the man who took my shame and bore all my diseases absolutely my savior. But I lost for a time that sort of personal connection with him. So I was walking really well with the father and I'd met Holy Spirit and I was walking really well with him because I don't know how it happened, but there seemed to be just a grace. I just didn't have a Holy Spirit problem. I think I got saved just at the right point in our history where, you know, things were how I got saved in 92. So things happened in 1994 that really changed my life. And 
um, Holy Spirit was just not a difficult, not a difficult thing for me. Except I'm still shaking, but there we are. I don't mind. <laughs> um, but Jesus, I just sort of disconnected a little bit. And, you know, it wasn't until actually a few years ago, not so very many years ago, six or seven years ago, and uh, I went to have ministry for something else. I, I was dealing with some fear about something, and I knew that I needed some help. And uh, during the course of this ministry, um, a lot of stuff came up about my earthly brother. And, uh, and that got dealt with. Complete surprise to me. Totally surprised me. But what happened as a result of that was I reconnected with Jesus as my brother. And instead of just being a little girl who had a father and Holy Spirit who was just around, suddenly I had a brother. Suddenly it became a family. Oh, and you know, Jesus is with me every day. I walk with him. We have chats together. When I'm in the car on my own, he's in the passenger seat. We have a sibling relationship. It's astonishing. It's astonishing, and it's family. And each one of us in this room who know him and love him and have given our lives to him, we have him as our brother and our friend. God's restoring family in these days, not just relationship with the Father, or relationship with Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm going to have words with my husband. His alarm's just gone off. I forgive you, though, babe. I forgive you. Wasn't for me, was it? <laughs> it's a family relationship. A relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a family relationship. And if you are somebody... I don't know, maybe you too have had sibling relationships that aren't so good. Or maybe you're an only child and you've never had a sibling relationship. And your response to thinking of Jesus as your brother is, well, how on earth can that be? You know, I don't... This is for you too. This is for you too. There are no exclusions in this. He's right here. He's with you. There's something so beautiful, isn't there, about watching siblings play together? Yeah? It's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's a lovely thing. This is family. It's family. It's really family, and he wants us to embrace it. Wow. Because this is family. And this family works a lot better when each one of us recognizes that we're part of his family. You see, when we, are sh when we know our identity in him, the things that maybe have um, caused us difficulties in our walk and our relationships with other people, they just stop mattering quite so much. Competition goes. You don't need to be the best. You don't need to make a name for yourself. You don't need to strive to reach the summit because actually we're already there. We're not trying to prove anything to one another. We don't need to because it's not about me. It's about him. It's about him. Him in me. And when we recognize him in me, the pressure just lifts. It's the most releasing thing. And it's not like, to, it's not like a abdication of responsibility. It's a recognition that it's him in me. It's him that matters. He's the reason I'm doing this. He's why I'm here. He's my purpose. Amen? It's not about me. Not because I don't matter. Because I really, really matter. I really matter. He loves me. 
He loves me. I know he loves me. He loves me the best. He loves me more than he loves anything else. I'm coming to understand this. And the wonderful, wonderful, glorious, amazing, ridiculous, outrageous truth is, he loves every single one of us in exactly the same way. He couldn't love us any more than he does already. And he will never love us any less. There's nothing that we can do that will separate us from his love. Nothing. Oh, <laughs> this is amazing, isn't it? You could even try, you know. I, mean, I wouldn't advise it, but I mean, you could actually try. But you can't do it apart from completely, completely denying him. You can't do it. He loves us. He loves us. And when we know that, well, that's just joy. That's what's left, isn't it, really? It's joy. I don't need to prove this. I don't need to be better than you. I don't need to be a better speaker or a better dancer. I don't need to have approbation from somebody else. I don't need you to... Um, I can't think of the word. I'm trying. I'm looking for a word. I don't need to remember all my words. It doesn't matter. I don't need to be perfect. It doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter if I make mistakes as long as I don't hurt anybody, and if I do, that I put it right. What matters is that I walk in the fullness of everything that he has for me, that I walk in love and forgiveness. One of, my, one of the cries of my heart used to be, God, I don't know if I can love people enough. I didn't like people very much. I don't know if I can. Lord, I'm just not sure I can even do this thing. That used to be one of my, you know, heartfelt, down on your knees, I'm a failure as a Christian, cries. I can't love people enough, Lord. Somebody needs to hear this in the room this morning. I don't love people enough. And his response to me was, no, you don't, but I do, so that's okay, because it's me in you that does the loving. It's me in you. And as we allow him to do that, as we allow him to move in us and on us and through us, do you know what happens? He changes us. And we go to, from this place of hardness to a place of softness, to a place where we realize, actually, it's really great loving people. I love loving people. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. But it comes from him. It's like, so all that striving ceases. It's not me. I don't have to find it somewhere in me where it doesn't reside. It's him. So what I have to do is make sure my relationship with him is good. That I don't disconnect from him. That I don't hide things or try to hide things from him. Because how dumb is that anyway? It's dumb, isn't it? It's silly. We do it though, don't we? But we can't hide anything from him. You have searched me and you know me, you know? You know every thought I think before I think it. You know every word that's on my tongue before I speak it. Hide, trying to hide things from God is a hiding to nothing. Truly, it is. So it's living in complete transparency before him. Allowing him to work in us and through us. Allowing him to soften us enough to be able to release forgiveness when we're offended. And you know, as he works in us, we find ourselves not offended more often than we are offended. He changes us. We don't have to take offense. Offense is a horrible thing. It's offense. It will create a barrier. That's all it does. And we can't walk in forgiveness 
And believe you me, I know something about this. We can't walk in forgiveness until we walk in love because love is the thing that releases forgiveness. It's the only thing that can do it. And love starts with, oh Jesus, my friend, my brother, Father God, Holy Spirit, my helper, my comforter, the one who's alongside me all of the time. I am a child of God. And I know who I am. I know who I am. I know who I am. And it's not about me. It's about you. The danger is we can get to so... Um, we, pride will try and get into I know who I am and make it about me and not Jesus. So our, our guard, our... Um, our, our Oh, our defense, good word. Our defense is remembering that actually it's not about me. It's about him. It's always about him. So here's the thing. Have you, um, have you ever come across a thing called kintsugi? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, one person. So kintsugi is, is, is beautiful. It's the, it's the Japanese art of repairing pottery. Um, and pottery that's broken is repaired with gold. And it looks absolutely beautiful. So that the repaired pots, you know, they just look glorious. Anyway, this, I've heard this illustration used time and again in Christian um, circles about the work that God does in us. That, you know, when he repairs us, when he puts us back together, we're more beautiful be than we were before. And I, I understand where that's coming from, and I like it. But, you know, the danger with that analogy is we start to think that wearing our scars with pride is actually something that's attractive. It, it moves the emphasis away from what God has done in us and back onto who we are. It becomes about me. Look at all my scars and look at what God did with me. Look at all my scars and look at what God did with me. I must be something really special. And it's a, it's a, you know, it, it's a really fine balance between the beauty and the beast, almost. And um, the thing that sort of spoke to me about this kintsugi picture is the recognizing and the realization that actually when we're broken and God repairs us, you can't see any scars. They're just not there. They're just not there. And the beauty, the gold, comes from him. It's his changes in us. They don't, they're not covering up scars. They're just changing us. When he puts us back together, we look perfect. We don't look like something broken that's been mended. We look the way he made us. Because he doesn't do any less than that. And it's about him. It's not about me. It's not about us. And you know, he made each one of us unique and individual, didn't he? No two fingerprints are the same. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just the most amazing thing? That blows me away when I think about that. How many people are there in the world? I mean, even just the people in this room. You can be identified by your fingerprint, by a strand of DNA. It's, it's astonishing. All, all unique, all individual. But what he didn't make us was independent. And there is a myth that independence is something that we should strive for. That being independent, being able to just do the stuff is a good thing. We are wholly dependent on him all the time. And as we grow in family, we're dependent on one another. Just as families, to varying degrees and extents as they grow and change, us to maintain dependence on one another to some degree. And that dependence changes as families get older, doesn't it? So, you know, in a healthy family, your children are wholly dependent on you. And then as there comes a point in your life when you become dependent on your children, perhaps. Yeah? 
There's a dependence. Dependency is not weakness. Dependency is strength. Recognizing that it's not all me. It's not all about me fixing me. It's not all about what I can do to help myself. You know, we can find, oh my goodness, who's got self-help, any self-help books on their bookshelves? Yeah, we, we can find self-help books for anything, can't we? Millions of self-help books that will help us do just about anything to make me a better person, to fix my relationships, to fix my house clutter, to fix my thought life, to fix my sleeplessness, to fix my um, everything, can't we? And yet, you know, we have one book. There's one book. And it's the only self-help book we will ever really need. And he wrote it. <laughs> he wrote it. And it speaks to each one of us uniquely and individually and also corporately. And all it will ever give us is truth. All it will ever give us is truth. So I believe there's a shift coming, church. I really do. We are at the beginning of summer, which is hilarious to me. I mean, it's a, it's a slightly less defined season change from spring to summer anyway, isn't it? But the fact that summer starts on the longest day of the year, to me, that's just bonkers, because that should be the middle of summer. It's counterintuitive. Is it just me? It's counterintuitive to me, but... Anyway, we have actually just entered summer. So we are in a season change. And I believe that one of those changes that is coming is a shift for us in church in the way that we think about who we are. There's a shift coming in our recognition of our identity and our family and of, of understanding that when we meet together like this, we are meeting as family. You know, when we share a picnic together, what a great day to come to faith life. You know, when we share a picnic together afterwards, we're doing family stuff together. It's wonderful. And summer too, you know, it's a time of forest fire, isn't it? It's a season of fire, fire season. You know, you, I don't know what it's like around here, but we get on the moors down near us. You know, you get brush fires and it's a season of fire. And the fire starts when the wind starts to blow, doesn't it? You know, there are fires all over the place, individual fires. I mean, there have been many prophecies about church fires and all that sort of stuff over years and years and years. But I'm talking here today rather than corporately, actually as us as individuals. You know, the fire in some of us has just been burning really low, just a really low burn, ember level burn. You know it's still there. He knows it's still there, but you're not feeling like you used to. Maybe even a little bit of grief, like things are not as they used to be. I just want to go back. I just want to go back. My goodness. He wants to breathe fresh life into those fires, to reignite those bits of us that have become tired and weary and maybe a little bit disillusioned. Not so he can take us back, because there is no backwards, but so he can take us forwards. So he can take us forwards. And things are not going to look the way that they have looked in the past. But they are going to look like something beautiful and wonderful and significant and strategic. And you know when, I don't know how many people are in this room. How many people are you reckon are in this room this morning? Any offers? No good at numbers. 86 86 people in this. When 86 on fire people get together, you have a blaze, don't you? You've got a blaze going on. And for you guys here, you know, I see him just breathing fresh breath onto that corporate fire to reignite it into something that is going to blaze with his glory in this place going forward. So that those guys out there, 
they wouldn't be able to just be doing what they're doing and have no um, and not connect with what's happening in here. There's a blaze coming for faith life. Do you know that? There's a blaze coming for faith life. You're like a tinderbox, just waiting to be lit again. It's not like you've gone out. You haven't gone out. It's all still there. But there's a breath coming from heaven. You know, like Ezekiel, he told Ezekiel to over the bones, you know, prophesy the breath. The breath is coming back into this body. Not that the body was dead, but new life, fresh breath. Where things maybe have gone a little bit stale. I don't know, fresh breath, fresh life, blazing fire. And you know, fire consumes as well, doesn't it? It burns away the dross. It gets rid of the stuff that's superfluous. Maybe some of that is going to happen too. But how glorious that will be. It's like a, a declutter, excuse me, declutter from heaven coming for you guys. Does that sound good to you? Believe it, receive it, because he's going to do it. He's really, really going to do it. In this season, the wind is going to start to blow afresh. And where there are embers, there will be fire. Hallelujah. 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 When we know who we are, when we truly know his love, instead of striving to earn it, which is what most of us do at some point, we will start living to display it. Amen. Shall we stand to our feet?